0: tricked you again. That's by the Gettys. It's a great song. It really is based on the Apostles Creed and just again restates what we believe uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. We believe as believers in Jesus Christ. That's pretty catchy. That's pretty good. Hey, I do want to take just a moment and as Brother Brent already has, invite you back tonight. We're going to have a great time um, and service. Come from four to six and uh, meet meet the family. That's a great thing. And then we're going to eat right into And if y'all don't eat all the cake, we're going to have some of that cake for the reception. All right. We're going to we're going to double use that cake. But anyway, so so we're going to have baptismal service and then we have our singing share night our open mic night, uh, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, last time, I want to, I want to take a moment and tell you this, you know, because sometimes we ask ourselves the question, you know, what do we do this for? And if you were not here last time, it was just incredibly special. And and always it is. People get up and they share their heart. Sometimes it's a song. Sometimes it's a testimony. Sometimes it's a poem. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time together. And, and, and it's become a new tradition that we normally have our deacons sing a song. How many of y'all would like to hear the deacons sing tonight? Yeah? woo All right. I'm telling you, these boys, they need to go and get a bus and get on the road because they have got it together. So hopefully our deacons will be singing tonight. Boys, that was a invitation. All right. And then afterwards we're gonna have a reception. If you'd like to bring some finger foods, that'd be great. It's gonna be a great time, all based if you will on a scriptural basis, on Acts chapter two. They had all things in common. They fellowship and they shared together. That's part of being the church, which is by the way, kind of what we want to talk about. How's that for a segue, Brent? was that a nice segue? You know, the church. And today, you know, can you believe this? I remember standing before you at the beginning of this this series way back to first Sunday in June or last Sunday in May, going, we're going to go all summer long. And lo and behold, here we are, just three weeks from the end of the series. In three weeks, you know, summer's gone. In three weeks, you guys are back in school. Two weeks away from, from today, two weeks away from back to school, the greatest outreach our church does to our community. Incredible how time goes by. And today we want to talk about what is a church to do? Well, that was last Sunday night's title, so that's really not what we want to talk about, but it is what we want to talk about. See, last Sunday night, you know, under the steeple at six o'clock, we have this, you know, the church service, and and we talked about what is a church to do, and we talked about several things using different scriptures about what does a church do, because that's very important. That we get that right. You know, because I think sometimes we get confused about why God put us at 1300 South Faisal Street. We we kind of get confused sometimes because sometimes we kind of think that this whole thing is about us and, and, you know, we want our kids to have the best program and, you know, we want to have the best music for us and all this stuff. And really, you know, it's not really about us at all. It's about God. And about the people outside those doors being able to come here and hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which that song that was just sung was so powerful because the fact there's hope that we're dirty and broken and God can make us whole and complete again. So we exist then for the glory of God. In fact, if you're going to say the top, well, yo, know you'll get in trouble when we say the top three. But three really important things that I talked about last Sunday night, you know, we are definitely here to love God and love people. Love God, love people. It's several times Jesus says it. God walked up and says, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Huge. In fact, Jesus said, oh, this is, there's no commandment greater than those two. That's the top of the pile. And then another thing that the church does that's really important is we gather together for worship. We just did that. Okay, And it's so important because we serve a God that's so worthy of our worship. And we do that through, through singing, and we do that through prayer, and we do that through the teaching of the Word every time we gather together. So, so you know, worship is right there. And the third thing, though, is that we go. That we go. That God put us at 1300 South Faisal Street, now listen, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as sometimes things change in worship, so that takes on different reflections in our church life. Sometimes it's taking an offering. Sometimes we do Lottie Moon or Annie Armstrong or one of those things, and we ask you to give to those so others can go. And and then sometimes it involves people going. You know, Nan and, and Jackie and Judy went to London different times. Uh, Jackie went May, and Nan and Judy just got back last night. And so it involves going. January went to Africa Almost went to Nicaragua, but I bet we're going to go back one of these days. So it involves us going physically places, but don't forget it involves touching people right here. Right here. See, see, in two weeks, over a thousand people are going to be here. Two weeks, over a thousand people are going to pass through this building. And and we're going to love them in Jesus' name. And the counselors are going to pray with them, look for opportunities to share the gospel. We'll be looking for opportunities to share the gospel on the floor as all this happens. We're reaching out and touching their lives by giving them school supplies and feeding them a meal and giving them a haircut if they need it. All of that is going here. Going here. Thursday nights at his table, um, that happens. Judgment house, it happens in the fall. Bible school, it happens. All those are opportunities To be the church and going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And trust me, that's huge. Well, Dwayne, just how huge is it? Well, if we understand the Bible right, and trust me, we do, that any person who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, any person whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And there's not going to be wings at the throne. There's not going to be, oops, there's not, not going to be what God's going to say. Well, you're such a nice person, I'm going to let you in. Without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to their sin, they will spend eternity separated from God. That's how important this is. Okay, I heard one amen. And I'm a, a beggar for amens. But do you at least understand what I just said? That's why this is important. That's why it cannot be about me. It can't be about David or Brent or trustees or deacons or you. It has to remain about God's glory and sharing this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about one mission and one hope. One mission and one hope. And I want to start with a story that I hope will touch your heart. The The first point on your sermon sheet is it's called the, the sinner's cry, and you'll see why in just a minute. But I want to read a letter to you from a guy named... Eric, you won't know if I say it right or not. Eric KSO. We'll we'll say KSO. Um, I got this letter from New Tribes Missions. Um, They reach out a lot to Papua New Guinea. And there are so many lost tribes there. And so the letter I'm about to read to you is authentic and real. And there is a touch of Jesus there. But so many of them... No, I've heard name of Jesus, but they have no clue what really what that means. And so this man wrote this letter. Let me read it to you. He says, and again, the English is bad because it's been translated, and of course they don't speak English, and so it's a rough translation of what he wrote. I'm saying again for the seventh time to ask if you will come to my village or not. The people are saying that you must come. I'm saying this again. I think you all didn't get my first six letters. The people are truly crying for a missionary and for God's talk. Plenty of my letters asking for missionaries have been wasted. Now, I'm asking you to return a letter to me now. In the name of Jesus, return a letter quickly. Now, keep in mind, he does not know this Jesus. It's a name he has heard. I just want a missionary. I'm just wasting my money on these pens and paper. They don't bear fruit. This one must produce the fruit right. And then a pause. And they insert, Eric wrote these letters for 10 years, but there were not enough workers to send to his village. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So finally, in 2013... The missionaries finally answered his plea. When they arrived, their first priority was to visit Eric and let him know his efforts had finally paid off. They were there to tell him and his people God's talk. When they reached Eric's home and spoke with his wife, they learned something heartbreaking. Eric had died two years before their visit without having a chance to hear God's talk. Eric died without knowing Jesus because there simply weren't enough missionaries to go and tell. We've all heard stories of people who were buried in rubble. I read a story uh, last night about a woman after the earthquake in Haiti who was buried 15 days under rubble. And the rescuers were walking by, clearing out the rubble, hopes of survivors long gone, and they hear a groaning sound. And they lift debris and a large piece of metal and find a woman more dead than alive, but alive, a survivor. They heard her cry. And my brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that Dorisville Baptist Church needs to be a church that hears the cry of the lost. We need to be a church that's willing to hear the cry. We've got to understand, often I hear, sometimes I hear, why do we go? Why can't we just send money? Why do we go? We go at the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go because people are dying without Christ and going to hell. We have events, we take offerings we receive because people are dying without Jesus Christ. It's a priority of God's and it must be a priority of our church. Always, always, always. Our first scripture this morning is a passionate one from Psalm 142, verse 4. And again, I entitled it, The, the Cry of the Lost. The Cry of the Lost. Now, we're, we're not sure if David wrote this or another, just another psalmist. But, but he's, in, um, he's in deep weeds. He's in dire straits. He's between a rock and a hard place. Whatever the difficulty, He could be in prison. No matter what the difficulty is, it is great. And here is his cry. Look to the right. And, and we really need to insert an I there. So it's not just look to the right. It's I look to the right. He said, I look to the right and see. And I want you to understand, as you know, so often in scriptures, the right is the hand of power. So he's saying, when he says, I look to the right and see, he's saying that if hope is going to come, it's going to come from the right. So he's saying that my only hope, if there is any hope for me, if there's any hope for me, I'm looking to the right. And the only hope of the world is Jesus Christ. I mean, again, if all we do is feed people, then we send fat people to hell. If all we do is buy school supplies, We send educated people to hell. The gospel has to be central. The hope, this man looking to the right, the hope he looks for is not just release. The hope is the hope of the gospel. So he says, I look to the right and see there is none, there is none who take notice of me. It's as if he's invisible. It's as if people can walk by him and not see him. And this is common in one area. And it's common in an area back there. Back there there were so many beggars. There were no social services. There was nothing. And they just simply became immune to people sitting by the roadside. The broken. The disfranch- disenfranchised. Those kind of people. They just, they just didn't see them. Like we don't see them. I mean we just recently took a trip to Chicago. And there they were. Their signs. Their signs. And I don't know, you know, for some it's a business. It's a way of life. I understand that. I got that. But some are authentic. But we have that ability just to not see people. In Jesus' day, if you're a leper, they didn't see you. If you're blind, they didn't see you. If you're broken, they didn't see you. And this man cries out and says, There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. There is no place of safety. There's no hope for me. There's no refuge for me. And then these words that, that cry out in the English Standard Version, No one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. I wonder if, if, if they'd had a chance to talk to Eric. I wonder in that process of the 10 years, Brent, waiting for a missionary. 10 years crying out. For a missionary, I wonder if he'd have said, "You know, it seemed like no one cared for my soul." Guess you know, what I love about Jesus? He did. He cared about people. In fact, I was amazed. What I did was, you know, I. I, I I've got my own way of doing sermon things, you know. And so I said, well, I wonder what kind of scriptures we can find. If we looked up, if we looked up scriptures where Jesus saw people, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. And I arbitrarily picked these three. Well, no, no. The Holy Spirit picked the three. And then I realized the outline that he laid down for me. For instance, in John chapter 5 and verse number 6, there's a story there that, that, you know, there's a pool of Bethesda, okay, and sick people would lay around this pool. And what, there's a rumor, just like like Eric, the guy in Papua New Guinea, had heard the name of Jesus, did not know what it meant, did not understand the gospel. He just heard about a man named Jesus who could make a difference, God's talk. Well, the rumor was that an angel would come and stir the waters. And the first one in the waters would be healed. And so these, all these disenfranchised people would lay around this pool waiting for the water to stir and then try to be the first one in. You can imagine how difficult that might be for a man who couldn't walk. So we know from the story in John chapter 5, verse 6, that there is a man, and Jesus said, knowing he'd been there a long time, we get an insight from John. He records it for us. For 38 years, Tracy Four decades, he laid by this pool. You think he could identify with the words, look to my right and see there's no one who takes notice of me, no refuge remains, no one cares for my soul? 38 years he laid there. And then a young rabbi named Jesus comes by. And here's what happens. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, 38 years, in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? I know that seems like an obvious question, but Jesus wanted to make sure he he identified with what was about to happen. But you see the key words there? When Jesus saw him. Uh, as, people would, as people would walk by the pool of Bethesda, they didn't even give a second glance. It's like, like just a bunch of broken people, and they would walk by on their way. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus paused, and Jesus saw him. Why him? Oh, that would be called grace. That would be called grace. If you ever wonder why God reached down and saved you, it's not because you were Mr. Wonderful. It's just grace. It's just grace. So he asked him the question. He said, yeah, I really want to get well, but there's no one to put me in the water. And Jesus said, well, listen, take up your bed and walk. And guess what? He did and he did. He did and he did. And it started, though, with Jesus seeing him. When, When the psalmist said, no one takes notice of me, he was one of the invisibles. But Jesus saw him. And Jesus tells the church today, I need for you to see the invisible people. I need for you to see the people that other people choose not to see. I need for you to see the invisible. And then, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 36 we see another picture of Jesus. And this is just one of my favorites. I bet it's one of yours too. In 936 of Matthew, the Bible says, and when he saw the crowds. When he saw the crowds. And you know it's crazy? He, he, Mags, he didn't just see the crowd. He saw the crowd. You know, I don't know. You know sometimes I lock faces with you folks and sometimes I don't. But, but sometimes I see a blur of people, especially when I'm doing like this. But, but, but sometimes I focus in like I did with Maggie. I said, Maggie... He saw the crowd. Well, notice, notice again the psalmist's words: no refuge remains to me. And look, look at the verbiage. He says in Matthew 9:36, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Why? Why did he have compassion, which is love in action? Love in action. Why did he have compassion? Because they were harassed and helpless. He saw the crowd and realize that they were harassed and helpless, and then like sheep without a shepherd. You know, sheep without a shepherd are doomed. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before the wolf comes, the coyote comes, the mountain lion comes, and consumes them. Sheep need a shepherd. And we need a savior. This world needs a savior. And, and, and again, Jesus saw the crowd. You know, no one takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. See, Jesus is a safe place. The, the penalty of sin demands eternity separated from God in a, in a place called the burning lake of fire. There's no safety in that. And Jesus comes and dies on a cross and, and he pays the price and consumes the wrath of God, is buried and resurrected the third day and then says, everyone's welcome to come to the table. Put your faith and trust in me and I will forgive your sins through my spilt blood and you can come into relationship with the creator God of the universe. You'll have a shepherd. You'll have a place of safety. Can I pause there? Someone might need reminding because your life is hard right now and you are a believer in Christ. Don't forget who your shepherd is. And if Christ is your shepherd, you are in a place of safety. You're not going to be in a place of safety. You are in a place of safety. Just rest assured in that. And then in Mark 10, 21 a total different Story, but but this one says, and and no one cared for my soul. Remember that part of the outline. No one cared for my soul, and this is such a different story because this guy's not broke that way. He's he's not crippled. You would not listen. You would not look at him and go, Ah, oh boy, he's harassed and helpless. He's like a sheep without a shepherd. You know, this guy was rich. He had it together. He had money in the bank and stocks in his portfolio. He had it all but one thing. His soul was lost. See how appropriate it is when Jesus, when the guy says, no one cared for my soul. Well, this guy would say that I've got it all. I've got boats. I've got cars. I've got the right labels. on I've got the right address. My kids go to the best schools. Their teeth are straight. But my soul is lost. See, that's why, in case you haven't noticed, Sometimes people with wealth are the most unhappiest people there are. Why are there so many suicides in Hollywood and the sports world? Why, why do so many sports figures get in such big trouble? You know why? Because money's not enough. Money doesn't satisfy the soul. Well, this guy had money. So he comes to Jesus and says, Hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and Jesus gave an answer about the law. And he goes, Oh, I've done all that. And then listen to what Jesus says. He looks looks right into his soul and he tells him the one thing he doesn't want to hear. It's called tough love. But he he cared enough for his soul to tell him the truth. Here's what he says. Looking at him, there it is, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, well, you lack one thing. I want you to go and sell everything, all, your, all you possess, everything you possess. And I want you to give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then I want you to come and follow me. Now, I always have to take time and pause this because you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying in order for, to be a believer in Christ, you've got to sell everything you got? No. But you've got to get rid of all your gods. See, the deal was, this dude had a god. His wealth, his money, his stuff. Because we know in a parallel scripture, in a moment, he said, well, gee, I've got a lot of stuff. I don't want to give that up. So he walks away. He walks away. So Jesus wasn't saying you've got to sell all your stuff to become a believer in him. But you've got to get rid of all the gods. I said last Sunday night, I said, you know, you know Jesus doesn't want to be just your number one god. You know, like, like, you know, sometimes, sometimes Jesus is like number four on your list. And so, so you say. Well, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to put Jesus number one, and then all my other gods will follow. No, Jesus doesn't want to be your own, your number one god. He wants to be your only god. He doesn't want to be number one in your polythra of gods and your bouquet of gods. And I'm okay as long as God's number one, the true God's number one. No, no, no. There's no room in a person's life but for one God. And that needs to be the creator God of the universe. Go sell what you got. Come and follow me. You need to have a garage sale. You need to have a God garage sale. And you need to give her your gods. And come and follow me. And then, and then. And Mark chapter 10 is one of my just favorite stories. And you see, and the reason it's so appropriate is because you see all three of these things. You see, you know, you look to right, there's none who took notice. You see that little bit of it. You see no refuge remains. There's no place of safety. And then you see no one cared for his soul. And you see Jesus working in this guy's life. I love this story. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, they came to Jericho, and as they were leaving Jericho, so they came into Jericho on one side, and they leave Jericho on the other side. And, And his disciples and a large crowd, I like to say it this way, his disciples and the ambulance chasers. My mama was an ambulance chaser. I can hear it to this day. There wasn't, you know, we weren't very wealthy, and, you know, life was, you know, kind of mundane. And so uh, I could see us sitting outside. We'd sit outside, and our mom and dad would have lawn chairs, and we'd be out playing and stuff. And I, I hear, I hear, Austin, Austin, an ambulance, let's go. Kids, get in the car. And off we go chasing the ambulance. Hey, a little excitement, you know. A little excitement. Well, the, the crowds were that way. You know, the disciples were the Jesus followers, but the rest of the crowd was just there to see what Jesus was going to do that day. You never knew if you are going to get a free fish and chip sandwich. You didn't know that. Um, you didn't know if perhaps you know there would be somebody healed that day. You didn't know. So you kind of followed Jesus. Well, they were kind of following Jesus, okay? And then we get the setup. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. And a, and a was a beggar, a blind beggar, and the son of Timaeus. Can I tell you something I never saw before? And we don't know why, but they give him his, his name twice. Now, I bet you know the word bar, okay, before the person, before a word, means son of. Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. Remember that one? Okay, look, look what it says. Bar-Timaeus is Bar-Timaeus, son of Timaeus. It's funny because it goes, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, beggar, the son of Timaeus, one of the great mysteries of the Bible, we'll never know, all right, was sitting by the roadside. So here we have, okay, we have a beggar, we have a blind man, he's in the dust, he's dust every day for breakfast, lunch, and supper. He's sitting there, totally invisible to the world. Just like our psalmist. No place of safety. No place of safety. No one cared. And he's sitting beside the road. And then, in verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's just like our friend in Papua New Guinea. Eric, unfortunately, never met Jesus, but he'd heard of Jesus. And so, this man, Bartimaeus, had heard About Jesus of Nazareth. He had heard rumors. He he heard that Jesus could do miraculous things. And so, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I love that word. The word, a good definition for mercy is unmerited kindness. Jesus, I'm asking you to be kind to me. I don't deserve it. I'm just a mere beggar. I'm blind. I have nothing to offer you. I can bring nothing to the table. I'm just asking you to show kindness on my behalf. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is why I chose this scripture. Again, there's there's probably three groups. There's, There's the 12 there. And one of them really didn't care, I promise you. We know the end of the story. But there was the 12 there. And then there's the crowd that walked with Jesus. And then there's the parade watchers. So all these people are there. And guess what? They're not blind. Well, they were blind spiritually, some of them. But the 12 certainly weren't blind. And so they hear this guy, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Show unmerited kindness on me. And it shows how easy it is to be self-centered. Because they say in verse 48. Now, are you watching? And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. I guess it's easy for them to say because they could see. Their world was pretty good. They were waiting on a free fish and chip sandwich. They are waiting to see a little bit of a miracle action. Their world was pretty stinking good. That's the danger of the church in America. Our world is pretty good, and it's awful easy. Not I don't have to go to Africa. In our little world here, it's pretty good. You know, if we get sick, people pray for us. If you're in the hospital, one of the pastors will try to make a visit. You know, if you, if you die, we're going to bury you. When you have a child, we get your name on the sign out there. We celebrate with you. Our world's pretty good get sick you get a prayer call out his, his world wasn't so good and it's awful easy to get so focused on the wrong thing that we lose sight of what we're about these people should have said if nothing else if nothing else they should have said hey we want to see a miracle there's a candidate." Hey, we're ambulance chasers, we admit it, and there's a guy that needs an ambulance. Bring him right up, and Jesus, do your show. They didn't even get that. All they could say was, be quiet. Well, he got fired up. <laughs> and they rebuked him, told side. but he cried out, all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Show this unmerited kindness. Man, it's my one shot. And then it happens. Jesus sees him. Oh, I know what the scriptures say. But Jesus sees him. I love it. And Jesus stopped. This was the moment that matters. Jesus stopped. I love that. Because we get so busy, okay? We get so busy, we don't stop. Jesus stops. And then he says, "Call." Bring him here. Are you glad? Can I just just ask you a question? Are you just a little bit glad that one day your life was a mess? And one day Jesus was walking by. And something prompted you to go, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus didn't keep walking, (laughs) he stops. He looks you dead in the eye and says, come to me. And I'm telling you, if you know Jesus today, that's what happened. That's what happened. Come to me. So Jesus stops. says, call him. Bring him here. And the, the, they called the blind man saying, take heart. Get up. And threw off his cloak. And he spr- I love these words, this verbiage. He sprang up and he came to Jesus. Wow. His moment. See, pause. That's what we got to do. You know, whether a person trusts Jesus or not is between them, God, and them. But we've got to make sure everyone gets a, a moment. Can I say that again? Our job is to make sure everyone gets a moment. He's calling, but we've got to make sure Brent they get the moment. That's what, that's what needs to happen on back-to-school Sunday. We've got to give those people the opportunity to get the moment and let them respond. How they respond is between them and God. But our responsibility is to give them that chance. That's why Uganda, Niger, Mali, Nicaragua, back-to-school judgment house, vacation Bible school, and frankly, every week here. Every week here. We want to give every person the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. Well, he was excited. And uh, miraculously, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do? Because he wanted the man to identify his need. And so so he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus says to him in verse 52, go your way, your faith. Now let's pause there. Because I honestly believe this is one of those times, it's not every time, but there's one of those times when something else happens here besides a blind man's seeing. I think a dead man was made alive. I think eyes that were blind spiritually are made to open. So your faith, can I help you here? Listen, your faith in me. It wasn't faith in a tree over there. It wasn't faith in the people around him. It was his faith in Jesus. Your faith in me has made you well. And immediately, boom! He recovers his sight. And here's how we know something happens. And followed him on the way. Isn't that amazing? When he got his sight back, his first trip was not to Burger King. No more braille menus. It wasn't Walmart. It was, I want to follow the man. I want to to follow the man. I want to follow the man. I want to follow the man who gave me my life. And brothers and sisters, that's the plea of the church. Jesus, we want to follow the man who gave us life. Don't lose that. Don't become so overwhelmed in this thing called life that you lose that. Don't, you don't want to follow things that don't, don't satisfy. You don't want to follow things that give you no satisfaction, no purpose. You want to follow the man. You want to teach your children to follow the man. You want your family to be a family that follows the man. This is serious stuff. There are people out there. There are people in Harrisburg, can you believe this? There are people in Harrisburg who really do not understand how to go to heaven. Lots of people. And they're confused about good works and baptism. They don't understand the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amazing. Well, let me give you just a little bit more. You know, Paul, now, we we look at a different look at this. This idea, this concept of the gospel. You know, we, I had David sing the song this week, and I so appreciate his willingness to, to work with me on this. But we sang that send the light, the blessed gospel light. And that verse says, we have heard the Macedonian call. Have you ever wondered where that came from? Well, it's Acts chapter 16, and again, it it's the same idea of what is the church about. Well, let me read quickly to you, because I don't want to get at least one point. And, and they went through the region of, of Phrygia, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word Asia. What? Yeah, see, God opens and closes doors. God opens and closes doors. He's God. He can do that. And when they had come to uh, Mysia, Miss, Miss, uh, they attempted to go into Bithia, but the, whole, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by uh, Mysia, they went down to oh dear, you know what I'm trying to say. Verse 9, and a vision appeared, now listen, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's what Eric was doing. When Eric wrote those letters to the mission board, he was saying, come help us. We're not asking for your money. We're not asking for clothes or food. We're asking to know about Jesus. And what is so significant here is because if Paul had gone to Asia, Europe would not have been reached at that point. When he heard the Macedonian call... And in a dream and in a vision, a man of Macedonia saying, come over and do what? Help us. Bring the gospel to us. He turned toward Europe. And when Paul turned to Europe, he turned toward us. And the gospel is where it is in the Western world today because of this decision and Paul's obedience. Amen? Let me share with you from Romans chapter 10, and I call it Hope and Necessity. Hope and Necessity. In verse 12 of Romans chapter 10, now listen real carefully. For there is no distinction. How much? Yeah, yeah, none, zero. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. God is not Prejudice. God is not prejudice. He's not racially prejudiced. The thought of a person's skin color never enters the mind of God. Never. He's not economically prejudiced. He doesn't choose rich people over poor people. In fact, he has a leaning, it seems it's toward the poor person. Because they're usually more open to the gospel. God is not prejudiced. There's no distinction between Jew and And by the way, 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 by the way. If God's not prejudiced, his gospel's not prejudiced. The guys in Central Asia deserve the gospel as much as your next-door neighbor. And maybe more because they've never heard. Maybe more. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on how many? All, all, all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. There's a world out there that desperately needs a Savior. And God wants to bestow his riches on them. And then Paul says it this way. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. Now, that's really big. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to bring it home to us because, you know, we all would go, yeah, that's, boy, that's right. The African people, they, they, they deserve to be. Yeah, okay, I get that. And, and yep, yeah, Central Asian people, yeah, they too. Yeah, they, they deserve that too. I'm going to bring it home here where we live. Because here's the good news. No matter what you've done, no matter what's in your past, God's grace is sufficient for you. Now, you know, have you ever noticed how society will bait a person to the edge of a cliff? In other words, society will promote, promote, promote pornography. And then when a person acts on that, condemn them. They'll bait you to the edge, Drugs, alcohol, you know, all this free society we've got, all this different stuff, and then when you jump off the cliff, they condemn you. So I don't know what you got in your past. I don't know what sin you'd say. Well, let me let me tell you my sin. And then just tell me if your God's big enough. Well, can we just cut to the chase? His grace is sufficient for you today. No matter what you have done, His grace is sufficient. If you will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved, you can be forgiven, you can be redeemed, you can be rescued. Well, how's that work, Dwayne? Well, again, let me take my last two minutes and tell you about it. It all started in a similar Roman cross like this. Well, it didn't even start here, but, but the climax was here. Because, you know... Sinners died on crosses. And the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. So we deserve eternal separation from God. We deserve death. And so Jesus comes to earth. Listen, that sinless life, David, you talked about. That sinless life dies a sinless death. And the fact, though, that he had no sin of his own to die for. But the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of Of God. So so all the sins of the world is on him. The wrath of God is on him. He cries out in finality and says, It is. It is. And he yields. He gives up his life. He willingly dies. They put him in a grave for three days. Third day, proving he is God, he comes back to life. The dead body begins to breathe. The dead body begins to breathe. And he lives. He lives today, and he's coming back. And he lives today to give you an invitation. Believe that I died for your sins. I paid the price for your sins. Believe I am the Son of God. To be willing to turn from that junk in your past, all right, and follow me. And you know what? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen: If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That's another hope. Old things have passed away. Filled all things have become new. So here's the bottom line. If you're here today and you've never heard that and you've never acted on that, boy, is today your day. We have a time of decision at the end. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down here. And I'm telling you this. Listen to me. Trust me. You may not even know me. Trust me. Believe me. I'm telling you the truth. If by faith you will reach out to Jesus Christ, believing He died for your sin, He, no matter what it is, He will forgive you and He will give you eternal life. He'll give you better than a new start. He'll give you a new life. Old things pass away. All things become new. I'm telling you, come to the table of grace and you'll find a feast you will not believe. The second bottom line is this. I know that if we as believers in Jesus can really understand what he's done for us, we won't be able to keep quiet about it. We won't. We will not be able... To be quiet about it. (laughs) I went to my first ball game Friday night in probably 20 years. Cubs and cards. Good seats. Somewhere in that stadium was my son-in-law and my grandson. They had a Cubs uniform on. I had well, I actually went neutral. I wore my flag shirt, had red and blue. I'm not really a baseball fan, per se. Not a Cubs fan, not a Cardinals fan. I just couldn't bring myself to wear a Cubs uniform in the Cards house. It seemed wrong. But can I just be honest with you? Sorry, Jonathan. I wanted the Cards to win. They did. It was exciting. You should have heard 47,000 people, and I'm sure 20,000 of them were Cubs fans. But man, when that last... That owl was made at the top of the egg, and that last owl was made. The place erupted in excitement. I'm telling you, that's the way it ought to be when we understand God's grace. We should erupt in excitement. Come on, erupt in excitement. Erupt in excitement. Because the greatest and best thing for all eternity is God's amazing grace. An invitation for every man, woman, and child to become His child by his grace. By his grace. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you for letting me share today. I want you to know something, I don't take this for granted. But boy, if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I want to give you that invitation. We we don't do this to embarrass you or anything. Just we got some great news we want to share, and we'll give you that opportunity. And yes, we'll be glad to talk with you after church. But we're going to give you the opportunity. God's grace is absolutely amazing and stupendous. And it's so that we just can't keep quiet about it. And church, if you're here today, and you just need a little nudge in the right direction about why we're at 1300 South Feasal Street, I hope this was your nudge today. Don't forget why we're here. Don't get, don't get muddled up in this stuff that doesn't matter. Don't get muddled up in the stuff that don't matter. Stay focused. That God has given us this great privilege and opportunity to be a part of his great plan of sharing forgiveness in this world. So this is your time, if God's spoken to your heart, about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know you got questions. Come let us answer those questions. If you're here today and, and you've never been baptized, you're a believer, but you've never taken that step of obedience. Well, we're baptizing tonight. What a great opportunity to fulfill that command on that part of your, of your Christian walk. So come tell Brent. Tell Brent we'd like to be baptized. Hey, you need somebody to pray with you. We've got some situations. Uh, Linda Paul's son, Jake, has been in the hospital all week. Um, Kenny Fulkerson ended up having emergency surgery. Cindy um, Wright's dad, Nick Hefner, is having a really big surgery on Tuesday. We've had a family lose a loved one, a mama, and that's so difficult and so hard. A lot going on. A lot going on. So if you want somebody to just pray with you, we can do that too. So God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing today. Hmm. God, you're so great. You're so great. Please, Holy Spirit, do as you desire in the hearts of men, women, and children today. And Jesus, we pray it in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand on our feet. Let's sing. The invitation is yours.